Well, it's good to see you all this Good Friday, and we join together uh, this time with Christians around the world who uh, are gathering in their various time zones to contemplate the cross in different ways. And uh, I want to take us on a short journey today, um, not in the build-up to the cross, um, but onto the very cross itself. You see, I think Jesus gave us an amazing clue as to what he was thinking on the cross. Uh, as he was hanging there, and this is what I want us to delve into. Uh, to do this, I want to take you first to uh, Matthew 27 to set the context and the scene for what we're about to look at. So I'm going to read to you out of Matthew 27. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it up in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you're the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and the leaders, uh, teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I'm the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. On the face of it, it was a cruel and humiliating death by any standards. But I'm convinced that right at that moment, Jesus was seeing something they didn't. And to explore this, I want to take you to the words Jesus cried out in a loud voice. The Eloi, Eloi, lama sabatahini. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For some, it sounds like the last few words of a dying man crying out to a God who he thinks he's left him. They mocked him for his crying out. They gave him vinegar to quench his thirst. They continued in his bedraggled state to watch mocking until he died. And whilst this was happening to Jesus, it wasn't the full story. And I believe the mocking crowd's perception and response of what Jesus said was going on was totally wrong and completely misguided. You see, when Jesus shouted from the cross in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't believe he was just despairing in his separation from the Father for our sins. He was actually quoting scripture. And I believe what he was in, what should have been his darkest hour, he was seeing something amazing through the scripture he was quoting. 
to help us better understand why, I want to take you back into the Old Testament to an ancient messianic prophecy that some of you will be familiar with. It's back in Psalm 22. Let me read it to you, if you will, Psalm 22, verses 1 to 21, which I believe gives us an insight into the physical pain to the cross and what Jesus was thinking. And it starts like this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day and you do not answer, by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm, not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It's melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes amongst them and cast lots for my garment. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword. My precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. Friends, if that's not the prophetic description of the crucifixion, I don't know what is. <laughs> uh, I, be- I believe Jesus saw it exactly as this, which is why he shouted in the loud voice and signposted us to Psalm 22. The humiliating, physically painful death of the Son of God on the cross of Calvary. His body voluntarily given, beaten, afflicted until he died. And as he hung there, I'm sure the powers of hell were preparing to celebrate. They were hungry for the death of Jesus. The psalmist refers to them as the mouths of the prowling lions, the power of the dogs, the horns of the wild oxen. Great imagery for hunters, packs of wild dogs ready to attack. Mouths of lions that would be salivating with prey on their minds, horns of wild oxen ready to rip apart anything they could. Yet even as Jesus' death loomed, they hadn't realized they were not going to get what they wanted. If Psalm 22 ended here, I could fully understand it. Jesus shouting from the cross and pointing us to prophecy that would again confirm who he was. But just like the recounting of the crucifixion, it doesn't end there. And in fact, like the resurrection following the death of Jesus, the psalm takes an unusual turn at this point. Before we look at the second half of Psalm 22, 
I want to just remind ourselves of one of the first scriptures Jesus quoted at the start of his ministry. So I want to just take us for a minute or two uh, as a reminder to Luke 4. So try and hold Luke 4 in your minds as I read it, uh, as then we go into the second half of Psalm 22. Jesus was in the synagogue, and it was his turn to do the reading. And this is what he said. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. If the first half of Psalm 22 was so clearly about his body being broken, let's see what we find in verses 22 onwards. As I said, the psalm takes a strange turn. And from the, his body being broken, this is what it says. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes a theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down in the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. So I want to draw out a few details from these verses that I believe Jesus showed us were going through his mind on the cross as he pointed to Psalm 22. See, after the suffering, there's a declaration of God's name to an assembly of people belonging to the afflicted one. There's a cry to those who fear the Lord to praise him. There's a cry to Israel telling them that God has heard the cry of his afflicted one. There's a declaration that he's done what he's promised. There's a proclamation of good news to the poor that they will eat and be satisfied. There's a binding up of the brokenhearted with a promise that those who seek the Lord will praise him. It says, may your hearts live forever. He declares that nations and families will turn to God, that dominion belongs to him. That's proclaiming freedom for the captives and release from the darkness for the prisoners. This final section of Psalm 22, the declaration of the assembly of people, all praising God's name, the proclamation of good news for the poor, the binding up of the brokenhearted, the freedom for the captives, is very importantly confirming victory in the fulfillment of the scriptures Jesus read out at the beginning of his ministry. On the cross himself, I believe Jesus uses Psalm 22 to point to the life-changing gospel truths. Jesus' body broken and the new covenant ushered in that God promised to draw all people back to himself. We see the broken body of Christ dying 
and the spiritual body of Christ coming to life. We see Job's, yet though you slay me, I'll praise you. We'll see Joseph's, what the enemy meant for evil, God made it for our good. No wonder, friends, that Jesus declared on the cross, it's finished. He did it. Everything he came for was sealed on the cross. The forgiveness of sins, new covenant ushered in. The people who he purchased with his blood finally after thousands of years would finally fear the Lord and glorify his Father in heaven. He seized the victory of the creation of people made right with God through his affliction, set apart for God, whose aim is to glorify God. When Jesus said it is finished, he he wasn't declaring his life was over. Yes, he died after saying it's finished, but there's so much more than this. You see, the original Greek, teleo, doesn't mean conclusion of life or I'm dead. It carries with it in a number of places in the New Testament, and it's accomplished, or it's fulfilled, or uh, the debt has been paid, sense of meaning to it. And back in Psalm 22, the verse says, I will fulfill my vows. As he hung on the cross, Jesus saw the great assembly of people gathered. Jews and Gentiles and new people were one new man, made right with God through his affliction, set apart for God, whose aim is to glorify God. He saw all who were saved gathered in the future before the Father. And if you're saved, then you'll be in that crowd. He saw that crowd, and he saw you from the cross, the ones he died for. As a side note, I just want to highlight that Jesus' birth, mission, death, resurrection can't be undone now. It's happened. Jesus accomplished something that can never be undone. His victory can't be undone. What a foundation for our lives. What an assurance for our lives that we know, that we know, that we know that he's done it. He accomplished all that needed to happen for us to be right with God. We get an assurance so deep and foundational that life can never be the same again. We get a confidence that God is working out his plans in his people, in his timing. What would it look like, friends, if we lived more in the light that the victory can't be undone? I'll say this, there'd be more proclamation of the good news. More people being set free from that which has made them captives. More healings of bodies, hearts and minds. More of the oppressed set free. More living life abundantly. More people coming to know Jesus. Let me share one final thought that will take us to communion. There are many scriptures that Jesus quotes throughout his ministry. And I want to take you to one scripture which, like Psalm 22, also points us to the crucifixion body of Jesus being broken and the new covenant coming in. And after I I share this, we're going to share communion as Jesus did. The setting is the Passover feast, the feast in which Jesus was crucified. As is tradition in the Passover meal, Jesus and his apostles were reclining at the table. And Jesus had just said this to the disciples, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Later in the meal, he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And in Psalm 22, we see the broken body and new covenant. In the Passover meal, from which we get our communion service, we see the broken body and the new covenant. Both pointing to the victorious of death of Jesus on the cross, challenging us to remember the viciousness and the victory of the cross, reminding us that Jesus died for us, to raise a people who give God praise and thanks and glory forever. He's done it. Amen.